listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today on the program, I have Ellie Dimitri-Lagas. Ellie is the Global Head of Ad Innovation at ACAST. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Heather. Happy to be here. So, Ellie, I'm I'm so excited to talk to you because I have never interviewed anyone from ACAST, and I've always been just really fascinated by the company. I think the fact that it's international is really very cool because so often in podcasting, we think it all starts in the U.S., right? But before we get into that, I'm just curious, what led you personally into the podcast space? That's a great question. I'm also quite nervous now knowing that I'm the first interview at ACAST. <laughs> but what led me to podcasting was that it was an experience as a consumer, as I consumed podcasts, and I became very um, intertwined, connected with the host. My consumption habits were growing, and I really appreciated the medium. And then as I was in media and have been for so long, and I had worked in display and video and connected TV, my initial passion was video. I liked the, the creativity, the sight, sound, and motion of video. And I had never really experienced any other medium that triggered me or brought me to life like video until I started consuming podcasts. Mm. And it was a deeper type of connection for me. It was much more intimate. It was deeper than just the enthusiasm or the, the excitement that is created by a really like great video creative. This was more like a friend sitting with a friend at a table, learning, educating, informing, entertaining, all these things. And that's what led me to, to, to podcast specifically in ACAST. And I was really interested, um, not interested in podcasting as an understatement, but I was very impressed with the technology and the innovation that had been undergone at ACAST and how they have um, predicted and, and sort of came out into the market with innovation before podcasting was a thing, before it was you know, growing as fast as it is now or as popular as it is now. And they had the ability to kind of see where things were going to go with, with podcasting and that sense of visionary and innovation at ACAST um, is so large and so evident across our culture. Um, so yeah, that's what led me to, to podcasting in ACAST specifically. That's <laughs> awesome. I love hearing about people talking <clears throat> about their experiences with podcast listening because I just feel like there is something that is so powerful and unique about audio. And we talk so much about moving into video. And of course we all like video. Yes, we like video. But one of the issues with video is that your mind isn't creating the picture. And I love that you said that there's this level of intimacy that happens because that's how I feel. And, you know, I think it's so funny how when you hear somebody's voice, I kind of like it when people don't put their picture on their cover art because it's like you just hear them and you maybe you're listening to them for years before you actually see a picture and then you're like, oh, that's what you look like. But, you know, but that I feel like we've all had that experience, even from, you know, the radio DJ days. Right. But it's just it really, I think, speaks to the power of the you know, the audio platform and, and how, how our bodies kind of digest it. So that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm curious, 
you know, just to dig in a little bit into Acast in general, as I mentioned, it is an international company, which I think is really amazing. And the other thing that I find really fascinating about Acast is that you all do just so much. And so I was wondering, um, for those who maybe are unfamiliar with your company or maybe somebody listening who is, you know, just getting into the podcast space, can you tell us a little bit about Acast and all the different um, things that you do at the organization? Yes, I, I'm happy to, because we, we do do a lot and we try to kind of hone in on, on the areas of, of focus and the areas of passion. But in essence, Acast is the second largest global podcast marketplace. We operate in 14 markets globally. We are a hosting, a distribution, and a monetization platform. So on one end, we help podcasters create their um, podcast episodes and then operationalize those, surface them so they are discovered, so they are heard. And then so that, that, that is handled by our creator network for, from a hosting and distribution standpoint. From the monetization standpoint, which is where I sit, it's the global ad sales division within ACAS. And within that, that division, we have a slew of experts and their job is to really bring together the advertiser demand with the podcaster preferences. And so we are a sort of in-house um, matchmaking group of experts that live and breathe podcasting. And our job is to really bring together those two sides of the business so that podcasters make money for their craft, their voices are heard, they're elevated, and they still retain their creativity and all their business decision-making is completely independent. And we operate within that philosophy, what is called an open ecosystem, which is democratization in my mind, in terms of how podcasts are discovered, heard, and monetized. They operate through an RSS technology, which isn't owned by any one person individually. So you can have your episodes heard on any listening platform when you're hosting and distributing with ACAST, but we help you with the monetization side. So we're in essence, help business managers, if you will, for podcasters to help guide them through this, this, uh, this business endeavor. Mm -hmm. Now, does mm -hmm. ACAST actually own any podcasts? I, I don't know. We do we not don't. own podcasts. We do have a lot of ACasters who are podcasters. <laughs> I don't know if I could say that five times fast, but... Uh, <laughs> We, we we don't own um, the podcast. We have exclusive commercial arrangements with with them. There is about a hundred thousand podcasts within our marketplace. Um, many of them are English speaking, but there are also other our languages because, as I mentioned earlier, we operate in fourteen different markets. But we are agnostic to that. Mm -hmm. um, we just are an enablement, if you will, a technology enablement, business acumen enablement, business strategy and development. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. And I am glad you said that you had about 100,000 podcasts in your umbrella because I was really curious about that. So um, 100,000. So that that's amazing. So one of the things that I really want to talk to you about today is the scalability of podcast advertising. I, I think that that's a comment that I hear frequently from advertisers, something certainly we talk about in the industry a lot that podcast advertising just isn't scalable. Uh, but it it sounds to me like you definitely have tools at Acast, but also as an industry, we do have to have tools where we can make things scalable. I'm curious what your perspective is on the scalability of, of advertising. Sure. I mean, there's so many things to unpack there when someone says that, like when, when someone says it's not scalable in reference to what, 
because as a revenue opportunity in the media industry, it's not as large as the TV opportunity, but it's also hasn't been around as long. This is an emerging platform. The more podcasters that come to surface, the more supply there will be, and then that becomes larger and larger. So the revenue opportunity from a media perspective is growing with, with podcasting. And I think the, the latest projections are stating that podcasts expect to grow uh, at a 15 or 17% CAGR year over year. And so we know that there's more listening happening. Mm -hmm. There are more tools that are enabling podcasters to surface, to automate some of the processes, to create more episodes, to be discovered. And with that comes more content, more supply, and uh, the listener experience continues to grow. So that has not slowed down since my arrival at ACAST. It continues to grow. It's the fastest growing medium, in fact, compared to any other medium out there. It is surpassing the growth of influencer as well. And it comes together with not just the growth of, of the listener and the content, but the monetization side. And I think in terms of scaling on that end, that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. It starts, I think, in my mind with how podcasts were monetized initially. Mm -hmm. Very DR focused, very DTC brand focused, very you know host read, sponsorship even baked in, in in many organizations, show level buying. And so when you buy that way, when you're preferring, let's say the two, three top shows, the creative aspect of enabling that media is in fact not scalable mm -hmm. because it's very intimate. It's very custom. It's not turnkey. It's bespoke. So mm -hmm. these things take time between the host and the advertiser. When you'd like to scale that, that's when another format comes in. And I think there's been a lot of resistance in the past on enabling ads, the pre-recorded 30-second ads, because it's not it's not the way podcasts were introduced to the world. It's not the way that we learned how to experience podcast media buying. And there was a bit of resistance there. The questions were, do ads perform as well as sponsorships? The whole point is to connect with the hosts and ads are automated and they, they lose their intimacy. Will the performance sustain itself? There is a loss in performance mm -hmm. because, you know, the organic element of sponsorships will always be superior to a pre-recorded ad, but that's how you scale. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there's a bit of a give and take there. And that took a lot of education. It took a lot of handholding. It took a lot of mobilization of innovation. And so now we're in a place where the advertisers want that, the hosts understand it, they've leaned into it, and we're seeing activity around that. Now it's like, well, how can I take this even further and scale it? And that's mm -hmm. where program came in a few years ago because it gives us the ability to buy this, this medium safely at scale through the automation of all the operational lift and the creative lift. And that's where measurement and attribution also come in. Because when you're buying at scale versus a specific show that you are confident, you know the host, you know what they're going to talk about, you know what the creative will be. When you're buying at scale, you need some policing, you need mm -hmm. some regulation, you need something that will make sense of things. So there's safety around that. And so all of that had to happen <laughs> to get us to a place of it is scalable. It just wasn't scalable at the time or depending on who you ask, where they're coming from, what their preconceived notions are of podcasting. And I think there's a lot of education behind it before we can really answer that question. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love that response. And there was a ton in that. So we definitely want to kind of unpack a bit of that. But before before we do that, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I know recently there was a study that came out that said, 
if you buy the top 100 podcasts, you're reaching like 90% of the audience. Um, don't quote me on that percentage because I don't think that's accurate, but it was a very high percentage. Like you really only need to advertise on these top 100 shows because everybody's listening to these shows. And I find that kind of mind boggling that that could be the case. And and when we are talking about scalability, I do also think it's so important for us to look at, it's not about reaching one person once, right? It's about reaching someone with your message multiple times with, you know, with different ads, like we're not talking about the same ad, right? But with different ads multiple times so that they actually take action. But I don't know, do you have any thoughts about that, I guess that, idea that you just need to advertise on these top 100 shows and all your podcast advertising dreams will happen? Yes, I have many, many thoughts and ACAST has, has published a lot of research around this, but if, if I, I could take a step back and tell you that when I arrived at ACAST, my initial role was to launch the programmatic strategy in, in the Americas. And it was very clear to me that there was a resistance in buying at scale. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to understand why there was this resistance because 80% of media dollars, over 80% of media dollars in the United States are transacted based on audience targeting. But in, in podcasts, it was all about show level. And I just couldn't really, like, it didn't make sense how there was such a gap between mm -hmm. um, the two things, the schools of thought. And then that also was validated through the studies we have where there's a really steep gap in investment. Even though podcasts are the fastest growing medium, they only demanded around 14% of the revenue in the media investments. So my question was, your audiences are here. Why are you not here? Why are you not investing here as an advertiser? And so our team went on to conduct a study with, if you didn't know, we acquired a company last year called Podchaser. I know them so, well and love them. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you love them. <laughs> they are, uh, you know, the largest database of, of all podcasts across the globe, most podcasts across the globe. And they really adhere to this agnostic feeling of analyzing the data of the podcast to give buyers the ability to choose and find and discover podcasts agnostically. We operate separately, but through their data, we were able to uncover that there are, uh, there's this like, preconceived notion on how to buy media. For example, I think the stat is that there's about 2.3 million English speaking podcasts listened to in the United States, but within that 2.3 million, 44% of the U.S. podcast advertising investment lands on only the top 500 shows, which is mind boggling because these shows only account for 12% of the total reach. In other words, if any media investor is so, missing almost 88% of the addressable audiences, 88% of the listeners are not even being reached because they're not consuming those top 500 shows. I'm so glad that you brought that up because <laughs> I, I feel the same way. And um, it's, it is mind boggling to me to say that, oh, we're only gonna buy the top 100 shows or we're only gonna buy the top 500 shows. And I think that that is a really fascinating statistic that, so what you're saying is that those advertisers advertising on the top 500 shows are only reaching 12% of the addressable market. Of the English speaking podcast, only 12%. And it's not just their reach, the implications are far wider than that. One implication is higher CPMs inflated CPMs, sometimes four or five times higher than needed. 
And so there are shows that would have had a $35 CPM that are now, you know, charging 65 and $70. The other implication is higher ad loads, almost 30% higher ad loads. We've done a study with uh, Magellan AI, and it shows that, you know, the top 500 podcasts have 30% higher ad loads versus shows in the 3000, which when you have this level of clutter, it reduces share of voice for the advertiser and it creates this clutter to the experience. And that's when the experience starts to lose it, its efficacy, right? That's where we're at risk of creating an experience that the, the listener doesn't like. Um, but at the end of the day, it's also these, this like limited contextual relevancy. Let's not forget this, these are intimate conversations and we're completely bypassing why I'm connecting with this host. Who am I as a, as a consumer? I'm connecting with them. There's a relevancy here that we're missing because we're picking based on preconceived notions or based on charts that aren't really objective. They don't, there's fragmentation in the way that data is collected. And so that was causing a massive limitation to the growth of the medium. And perhaps going back to your initial question, why people thought it wasn't scalable. Right. Um, but that is fascinating. I just think that it is so interesting how we do get these preconceived notions that if we want success, that we have to advertise on the biggest shows. And I think that you're totally spot on. The bigger shows have so much more ad clutter. And like hearing those numbers, I think is amazing because that is one of the things that also helps with the effectiveness of podcast advertising is the limited number of ads, right? When when you get to a place where you have this heavy ad load, we're all we're all gonna fast forward, all of us, right? Because nobody wants to hear six ads in a row. Like it's just it's also a question afterwards if if the same hosts are endorsing the same products over and over again, it starts to become a question of, do I believe and trust the host as much as, as I do? Because they're constantly endorsing the same products and the services. And, and one of the things that the research that we have shows is that in podcasting, advertisers, I mean, listeners actually like seeing and hearing ads because they know that it helps their hosts make money. Genuine connection between me as a listener and the host and then the host with the advertiser is important here. Mm -hmm. Even as we scale, even as we innovate and we build, it's really important to remember that if we just automate too much of this and we just push everything to one side of the ecosystem, we will endanger the experience and the trust between the host and the, the, the listener. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I, I, I have often thought there has to be a level of diminishing returns, right? Like if you're hearing the same advertiser year after year after year on the same show, it does. And it tends to be something I think that you tune out as a listener, right? Because you've heard them discuss this product so many times. So I, I find that really fascinating. Now, Obviously, what we're talking about here with scalability really is programmatic. And so before we go too much further, um, one of the things that I love about the podcast space is that if you ask five people what programmatic advertising is, they'll all give you a different definition. So can you give us your definition of programmatic advertising? I, I would love to, but I also want to say first that it's not just in podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I think anywhere where you go, there are different interpretations of, of programmatic. Programmatic got a really bad reputation because when it first started, it was unregulated and a lot of questionable uh, business practices started to surface, but it was a learning curve. It was mm -hmm. about taking advantage of technology and then learning what not to do. And 
when podcasting came to a place of maturity where they were ready to adapt automation and programmatic, we had already regulated that and have already learned many things of best practices, what to do and what not to do. So my hope and dream and desire is that anyone involved in podcasting and, and programmatic is doing it right this time. And, and, not, and we can just forget about the bad old days of programmatic. <laughs> Um, I guess my, um, how I would interpret programmatic is it's the automation of media buying by using technology and artificial intelligence to automate things like the creative execution of things, the way to reach the audience you're looking for at scale to not draft an IO, but instead buy through a technology that automates the whole operational process. Mm -hmm. And by automating that process, the media team has the ability to look at their media in real time and decide where it is most effective and efficient to spend dollars, not just on podcasting, but across all mediums. Right. So they become more effective and efficient that way. And they can think about larger like strategy thinking versus manual labor, things that can become automated. So that's really, it's, it's just another way to activate media versus the traditional way, which is where a media buyer and ACAST would come together and negotiate and go through this whole process of trafficking mm -hmm. and operationalizing and setting up the campaign and then optimizations. All of that becomes automated with programmatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Love that definition. Um, and so when we think about programmatic, the other important piece that you mention in there is the creative because we're obviously not doing host red ads. I know that you talked about the idea of AI and I personally think that one of the challenges with programmatic ads is making sure the creative is executed well. And I know as a listener myself, I like it when the programmatic copy references podcasts or they say something like today's podcast sponsor is blah, 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 or whatever, just because it's like, it makes me feel like they've created this ad for me, regardless right. of whether the host created it for me or a production company, they created it for me. Um, but I, I have felt that there is a big gap when it comes to creative for podcasts. I don't, I don't know that there. I mean, and, and to be fair, I haven't talked to a lot of creative agencies, but I, I wouldn't think that there's lines of creative agencies who are like, oh yeah, we just specialize in podcast ad creation, but we have this huge advancement in AI and, and tools even out there like Veritonic where, you know, we're saying, hey, we could, we can look at this copy, we can perfect the copy. So I guess I'm just curious what your thoughts are around creative. Do you think that that's something that is going to get delegated to AI or is there, is there a good way to come up with a powerful ad? There are definitely good ways and best practices and then things that you shouldn't do in order to just as a, as a first entry point. And creative is very important because the tone, the, the sound, the speed, everything, all of that plays a role. And so there are best practices that we have at ACAST that we've gathered over the course of, of years of doing this. What we sort of try to go against it resist a bit the idea of taking recorded ads for radio and just naturally translating them over or taking the voiceover from a video campaign and trying to, to replicate that in podcasting. And it doesn't naturally translate very well. And so we have guidelines in place and we have partnerships in place and in-house teams, in-house teams that are specialized in this and knowing that 
what is the concept here? What is the tone? What is the messaging? Who are the podcast hosts that you're very interested in? And we can use, we have one product called Spawn Plus that can take the, the voiceover of the host and recreate 30 second ads using that voiceover host in different variations. So you're not losing the element of a sponsorship. You're still continuing that, but you're not taking it to the instead of focusing on just those top shows, now you're taking that voiceover and you're scaling it across the marketplace. That's one way that we've seen a tremendous success uh, with our advertising. And then in other ways, it's about innovation. And there are many technologies out there that enable you to take artificial intelligence and just become faster and more effective. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we have to completely let AI take over the process. I think mm -hmm. there's always an element of human interaction and, and you know, human um human common sense that we will apply to these things, but our artificial intelligence will help us create copies sometimes quickly based on pre-recorded episodes from a host, or it can give us insight into what resonates better into within a genre. So if you're in a comedy genre, like with artificial intelligence, we can surface keywords really quickly and tone and sentiment and create variations of copy. And then we have dynamic creative optimization, which is ingesting real-time information about the listener or the creative the the host and optimizing so that it is organic to them so for example i will listen to a creative on the same podcast as you but i will be i will be addressed as hey new york because i'm sitting in new york or you will be addressed as hey uh, I don't know where you are, Heather, now, but let's just say New Jersey. <laughs> You'll be addressed as New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and 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 that those are the personalization pieces that I think programmatic really needs to make the podcast listener feel like they're actually being spoken to. And I always think, gosh, I don't even know how many years ago um, I had read an ad, I'm, I'm sorry, I had read an article about the difference between inbound and outbound advertising and this concept that no one really likes to be shouted at. And so much of that kind of outbound advertising feels like it has a very shouty voice. And that's one of the things that I think we all love about podcast advertising is that when we get ads served to us, it doesn't feel like someone is really competing for our attention and they don't have really? to compete for our attention because they've already got it. Right. And actually it was Paul Reese Mandel that said that. And I just thought that that was so, so profound that it's, it's true. Like if you are, if you've got a passive, you know, medium out there, and the ad comes, then you need to get their attention so that they pay attention. But when you already have the attention of an audience, you don't need to gain it. You just need to deliver something that is going to be a powerful message for them that they're gonna you know, motivate them to take action. So really that creative piece is so important and so different. I agree with you on all those elements. Yeah, and especially the element of having to screen for attention because of the passive experience on TV. I, I do this as a consumer. I don't even need the research to, to validate it, but I'm multitasking and I'm not paying attention to the screen. I come in and out of the screen. And so I need something loud. I need the you know elaborate CGI, uh, something to grab my attention. But with podcasting, I'm very leaned in. I'm listening, I'm learning. Mm -hmm. I'm interacting there. And even if I'm doing other things, like I could be multitasking, my, my mind is very in tune with what the host is, is talking about. I'm very present. And so that is important when you're thinking, because if I'm listening to an episode of, you know, a mindfulness podcast and it, the tone is very soft, 
and very intimate and an ad comes in and is loud, I will be very upset at that advertiser. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know that there's ever been a study done on this, but I think it would be really interesting to look at. It seems to me like when you're listening to podcasts, one of the great things that I love about podcasts and audiobooks is that you can listen while you're doing other things. That being said, I know at least for myself, the other things I'm doing are always very subconscious activities, right? Yeah. Like driving or doing the dishes or folding the laundry or, you know, working in the yard or whatever it is. It's a task that I don't have to give the task my full attention. And so I really am paying attention to the podcast far more than I'm actually paying attention to my driving. So, so watch out. No, <laughs> but you know, like, yeah, I think that that's, that's the power of it. So now you guys have some really powerful tools at ACAST. And what I think is so cool about your company is because of the size of the company, you have this ability to really innovate. And, and I was like, I kind of see ACAST as a bit of an Island sometimes. Cause I'm like, they're just so self-contained over there. Right? <laughs> like you guys just have it all. But so I know that you have a first party data uh, targeting tool that really does play into people's ability to execute these buys effectively. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about that tool and exactly what it does. I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, going back to what we talked about where there was a, you know, bias towards buying show level, but knowing that in the United States, at least, and in some other markets like Australia and internationally, advertisers wanted to use their own proprietary first party data. It's data that they have created over the course mm -hmm. of years. They've invested many, many dollars into understanding their consumer across their, their journey mm -hmm. and understanding what's valuable to them, what purchases they're planning to make so they can customize the creative, they can maximize their investments, they can minimize um, waste. Mm -hmm. So there was a disconnect between how media is bought and how the medium is set up technically because podcasting operates in an RSS feed. It doesn't have the traditional desktop mobile technology that allows for cookie data and other things to target using uh, audiences. So you can do a lot of contextual targeting, just like the tool we have conversational targeting, which elevates various conversations and allows you to hone in on that conversation, which is all under that contextual bucket. But there is no way to target data, like using audience data. And so we endeavored on enabling that by partnering and creating identity graph that introduces those data signals. Mm -hmm. And then advertiser can then pass those data signal, those data, those audience segments to us in a privacy centric way. And then we can find those listeners in our environment. Mm -hmm. So it's a one-to-one -one connection that gets done between the audience, the data that the brand has and the listeners that ACAST has, and it bridges mm -hmm. that gap together. Mm -hmm. And so it was a first of its kind. We were very excited about it because it was a major obstacle to entry for serious investments in podcasting. And we saw exponential growth. I think about 90% of the demand is from new advertisers or it was advertisers that we had already been working with historically that were buying sponsorship and host reads. Now incremental reach and incremental investments. So now that same advertiser is spending more and that is starting to close the gap between that investment gap I referenced earlier, between the growth of listening and podcasting and the actual investments because we're innovating around audience targeting. Right. So it's to us, it's about addressability. Yes. Finding your right audience in the right place at the right time, whether an advertiser brings their own data 
whether you use ACAST's first party data, like conversational targeting or genres or keywords, or you can use um, through programmatic, you can enable, because of the introduction of these data signals, a lot of advertisers can now use their DSP to find those audiences through that technology. So we just wanted to remove the obstacles and enable a privacy, privacy safe way to find the right person at the right place in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is awesome. And, and essentially what you're saying um, to just kind of break it down into maybe more ABCs is that you're tracking essentially by IP address. And so I could say, oh, I'm really interested in taking a cruise. Actually, I was looking at cruises to Bahamas the other day, right? So I'm looking at cruises to the Bahamas and um, I'm on the website and we've all been there, whether it's on our phone or wherever on social media. And suddenly we just get a whole bunch of ads for cruises to the Bahamas, right? right? That essentially what that brand is able to do is say, oh, I know this person is interested in my product because I've been able to see based on their IP address that they are interacting with us, then I'm going to bring that first party data to you. And then I suddenly get a podcast ad because of that. That's correct. Exactly. And and it allows customization, personalization, like you said, because mm-hmm. knowing that you're already interested in the Bahamas, it would be great for someone to show you a, a podcast ad for the Bahamas versus one for, let's say, Alaska. Florida. Right. Or last. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No. Well, and I I think that there's always a bit of that kind of like big brother feel when we get retargeted. But I always go back to I'm interested in the Bahamas. I would rather hear an ad for the Bahamas than Alaska. Right. Like it for me, based on my current needs, that's going to serve me best. And so I think that that's really important. Very, very cool. And are you the only company in the industry right now that's doing that kind of targeting? We were the first to do this for podcasting specifically and in a way that is transparent where you can specifically target podcasts and then see down to the show level versus other marketplaces where advertisers could pass their data, their first party data into audio marketplaces. But my understanding of that was audio bundled. So Mm -hmm. yes, there could be some podcasting in there, but it included other audio elements. And then there was no way to separate podcasting down to the show level. So it was an incredible tool specifically for advertisers, but moreover for me, I I thought the, what was incredible was the discoverability element that surfaced through this, because now we were able to tell our advertisers that your audience is not actually consuming the top 50 or the top hundred shows. They're actually down here in the mid long tail on really small shows with a niche audience and a niche, you know, concept that are they're very loyal to and keep tuning in over and over again every episode. And so it just opened up everyone's mind and eyes to the potential of the mid and long tail, which I think is what's going to push this industry forward if we want it to scale and we want to continue to see its momentum grow. Uh, right now, I think innovation is compounded. That's mm-hmm. what I, you know, the level and the and the speed at which we innovate is much faster in podcasting than I've seen it in let's say TV. Mm-hmm. Because it tends to be a more newer medium that's not be held uh, down with some legacy. So we are seeing that there possibly could be other audio marketplaces that can do this, but it wasn't the case 30 or 40 days ago. Wow, that's so that's so crazy. That that is amazing. Um, I know that we need to start wrapping it up and I feel like I still have a million more questions for you. So the last kind of question that I have about programmatic is where do people go to buy programmatic? Because I feel like often 
you know, people come to me and they're like, well, how do I, how do I do it? Where do I go? And I feel like there are, there are definitely different places. And obviously if you are already buying programmatically, you're going to be set up to buy programmatic ads and podcasts should now be an option where it sounds to me like it, they weren't an option, you know, maybe even a year ago or two years ago. Right. So programmatic mm -hmm. ad buying through platforms where people are already buying programmatically. But if you're just, let's say a mid-level brand and you're like, Hey, I really would like to do this, but I don't do programmatic buying maybe in other, you know, platforms right now, where is a good place for people to actually go and buy programmatic ads? Well, I think there is a, there is a solution for every level of advertiser and every, every level of agency, whether you're in the big six or an independent, mm -hmm. there are ESPs, demand side platforms, because in essence, as an advertiser or someone who's managing media budgets, you would need an integration with a DSP that mm -hmm. will get you connected to where the supply is, the, the marketplace. And so that's where I like you would have to start. And there are DSPs that support all levels of, of media uh, demands. And it could mm -hmm. be a small uh, agency in the middle, in the you know, Midwest that only has like small business owners. There's a DSP that solves that. You just have to look it up in your, in your region. And there's many of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Love it. Um, okay. Now let's talk just a little bit about host reds because I do think that they're so important. If you have an advertiser that's considering programmatic, but they have been doing host red, what is the best strategy for them? You know, obviously, as you've just said, there is so much scalability with programmatic, right? And there are so many more targeting capabilities. Everything that we've been discussing, you know, throughout our conversation here has has shown us that. But there is still power with that host red. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, what is a good way to execute the buying of programmatic and host red together? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination. First off, if it's working with sponsorships and host reads, do not stop that. This is a matter of how do we enhance it? Yes. How do we complement it? How do we scale it? And so you could take elements of your sponsorship and host read elements of the host, elements of the conversations and the podcast episodes the host had, and you can find those same things in the pool of the all the other podcasts that exist that are not on that list. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a product at ACAST, which is also um, proprietary to ACAST. It's called Conversational Targeting. And what it does is it analyzes the vast library of our podcasts, and it takes artificial intelligence and machine learning to surface various concepts and conversations and words within those podcasts across the library. And so if you're already sponsoring a host that is speaking about the latest trend in makeup and lipstick and lip gloss, we can find other conversations of the same nature in that pool using conversational targeting. We can also do this with keywords, which are a bit more broad and generic, mm -hmm. but, but we get as granular as that show level conversation. So for example, it could be that in a podcast, um, that is, let's say, a genre like comedy or true mm -hmm. crime, mm -hmm. often overlooked. Advertisers are skeptical because, you know, we can use curse words here. We can talk a bit too adult. But there's a whole episode on a true crime podcast that is talking about their favorite lipstick and lip gloss and how 
this lip gloss has changed their lives as a joke or maybe a segue into the episode. Would you not want to be part of that? And that's how you can kind of scale it. Okay. And so I'm really, I'm curious about this because actually this morning I was listening to a podcast I listen to all the time and um, she's more of like an advice kind of podcast. But today she was talking about skincare products, which this is the first time that I've ever heard her talk about skincare products, right? It's not like that kind of a show. Yeah, it's kind of female lifestyle, so it's not out of character for her to talk about that, but I wasn't expecting that. So what you're saying is as a skincare company, let's say that they could contextually target to have ads within this episode, because we know that she's talking about skincare, or maybe they're not going to be in any of the other episodes because she didn't talk about skincare on those, but she talked about it today or at least when I listened today in that episode, she talked about it. And so that's how you would do that targeting. That's exactly it. Yeah. You find the episodes that are relevant to the concept that you're advertising or promoting. That's so fascinating. I love that. Very, very cool. We don't need to stop there. There are so many other ways. Another way is keyword targeting, which I mentioned. We also have genres, of course, and and various categories. And we also have third party data targeting. So this is what we're all used to hearing about, which is, you know, targeting using audience segments from third parties. So you can find someone who's in a market for automobile or you can find someone who's in the market for skincare. And then the first data element, if you have the the, that data or your ad, the advertiser has that data, you can bring that into the environment. So all of those elements, when you combine them, they're personalized. So the mm-hmm. creative will be personalized to that. The targeting and the audience reach will be customized to that. And so you're scaling, but you're not doing it in this like wild, wild west manner. It's mm-hmm. still controlled. It's still intelligent and it's still informed. And when you do this, you'll discover other hosts. You'll discover new podcast that you never knew would be of preference to your consumer. And then you can analyze all that exposure in real time and start to understand more about your listener mm-hmm. instead of making broad assumptions. Just because I listen to finance podcasts, because that is what I do, for example, for a living, and I'm, I need to be informed, doesn't mean that's also the only genre I consume because I also want to be entertained. Right. And I also want to laugh and I also want to get it. So there are so many, like, I think the average podcast listener listens to six different podcasts a week. Mm-hmm. And so we have to keep in mind, we're multifaceted human beings and multidimensional. And that's what some of this tech, the ad tech allows us to do when you're scaling, we can analyze the preferences and the behaviors of your audiences. And we can give that back to you and inform you of what is working, what is resonating the most with them what your next creative story should be like, what it should sound like. And I think it's that constant back and forth that helps enhance the experience for the advertisers and really drives that that long-term value for the consumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, Ellie, this has been such a lovely conversation. I really appreciate all of the information that you've provided. I'm curious if you had any predictions about where you thought podcast advertising was headed. Um, what those predictions might be. Do you feel like we're going to actually crack that code and take the revenue in the industry where we all think it can go? Oh yeah. I think the power of podcasting is far superior to any other medium I've worked in. And so I see that it's very, very powerful. I think if we continue to be cognizant and and mindful of how we innovate in this space, we'll continue to see growth. Um, My prediction is that the emerging platforms that 
have stickiness like podcasts, like gaming, I feel like there's going to be some way that all these emerging platforms start to come together and they'll yes. form a no, new cohort versus the legacy media that mm-hmm. we've all come, you know, grown up with. So yeah. I think there's a new world. <laughs> it is. I know. I think you're totally right. And I'm so interested to see where we're going to be in 10 years. Like, I feel like it, in 10 years, it could feel like a totally different place. A whole, whole sure, new world. Sure. We'll see. <laughs> well, Ellie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate all your, your information and learning about everything that you guys are doing at ACAST. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. It was a pleasure being here. I appreciate the invite. And um, it was short. So hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. And if people want to connect with you, I forgot to ask that. If people want to connect, where can they find you? They could find me on LinkedIn, Ellie Dimitrilakos, or they can email me at Ellie at ACAST.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you were interested in learning more about podcast advertising, please head on over to truenativemedia.com and check out the resources that we have for you there. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next episode. Thank you for listening to the podcast advertising playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 